Buonasera. My name is Marcello. I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao. Come, follow me. Behind this 200-year-old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima. Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze. Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel. Explore. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics five days a week. I'm Dr. Kate Devlin. 2023 was the year of AI. Millions of people around the globe use tools like ChatGPT and Midjourney to generate text and images in seconds. And it saw the UK scramble to host the world's first international AI safety summit, a geopolitical move if ever there was one, at Bletchley Park. Just last month, the EU reached agreement on the first AI regulation in existence and more nations will follow. So what's next? Well, I try never to do short-term forecasts about technology because they often come back to bite you. So joining me to make those predictions and take the blame for them is Kyle Taylor, author of The Little Black Book of Artificial Intelligence, How Big Tech is Making Humanity Redundant. Kyle, welcome to The Bunker. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, look, I'm very happy to be the one who's proved wrong. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's see. So your book talks about how we're now entering the AI age. And this is something that's really kicked off since November 2022, when ChatGPT, a large language model or an LLM, went public. And it, it had enormous engagement in a very short period of time and huge success. And the chances are, if you haven't already used an LLM, you probably will in 2024. So what is happening on that front? Where to next? I mean, it's, it is pretty extraordinary. And I, I think in the book, I liken it to the difference between before there was nuclear uh, and after there was nuclear. And I think that this step change is as significant as that one. Um, I think you're right. I mean, the world changed November 2022. And I think for this year, what we're going to see first and foremost is that everyone will be engaging with an LLM, with a large language model like ChatGPT in some way, shape or form. And the primary reason is because what it can do for businesses is allow them to reduce labor costs. <laughs> I mean, it's as simple as that, right? Everything in the AI space, and this is so, so important, is being designed under a for-profit lens to maximize profit, make as much money as possible. And there are huge human implications on that front that I think we're going to start finally feeling this year. So in terms of productivity, this is something we could see beginning to be integrated into very standard software we use every day. Is that the case? Yeah, I think so. People will be familiar with like a chat bot in your banking app that doesn't know what you actually want and is pretty much fairly useless, right? I think what we'll see this year is that they may actually become a little more useful and a little, I hate to use the word smarter, a little more capable perhaps is the way the way to, to, to phrase it. Um, but what we're going to see alongside that is a total failure of governments to do anything to protect people mm. through this process. 
Well, we'll get onto that in a little <laughs> bit, but <laughs> is there any chance that LLMs are going to peak this year or, or you know, might they reach some kind of limit? Uh, what, could we even see a decline? I personally think that they their progress is at present limitless. The only thing really holding back progress is server space and server power to actually process the scale. And I'll give you an example in terms of how far we've come. Uh, from November 2022 to March 2023, when ChatGPT was went from 3.5 to 4, it got 100,000 times more capable in six months. Wow. And... 3.5 was still learning at a rate 10,000 times faster than humans. And so if you think that's the step change, and step change is, is exponential. So every six months to 12 months, you expect it to get twice as good, at least. And what we're seeing is factors of in the thousands. And so I think by the end of 2024, we'll be looking at something that is uh, perhaps, well, easily the most capable thing that we can think of and probably doing stuff that we didn't imagine at this moment it would be able to do. And as an example, very recently, I'm sure with the whole Sam Altman OpenAI thing uh, that happened, he was removed, he was back and so forth. That was primarily around the fact that apparently uh, the chat GPT was starting to do math, which is very different mm. than predicting language. And that's the big step change. <laughs> So we did cover the whole Sam Altman hokey cokey uh, in a in a previous episode. I'm going to stick my reputation on there not being any artificial general intelligence in 2024, and uh, I really hope I haven't jinxed all of humanity with that statement. I would but agree. Let's just say, good, oh, excellent. Right? <laughs> so we're agreed that we're not seeing any existential threat in 2024. If that goes wrong, if my prediction is wrong, then it's not going to matter because we'll be wiped off the face of the planet. So there we go. It's a safe prediction. I think that I agree with you in the sense of a primary existential threat. I don't think the AI is going to come to kill us next year. But there are some serious secondary threats. So one, of course, Absolutely. we're talking about work. But two, yeah. there are elections in more than 50 countries. Oh, yeah. Half the world is going to the polls. And because of AI, we now you have no idea whether anything you see online is real or not. That's the reality of the situation, right? This and is this is huge, isn't it? I mean, this is over 4 billion people are going to be voting in yes. decisive elections. And as you said in your book, audio generating AI tools can be trained on like 30 seconds of recording and that gives you a passable clip that imitates someone. Oh, and yeah, what's completely. going to happen if this hits hits electioneering process? Well, and you think there's 30 seconds of audio of, of, of normal lay people probably for most of us, right? But you think about politicians, there are hundreds, thousands of hours of audio and video that can all be used to shape a message. And of course, there's elections in the US and Donald Trump is intending to be back on the ballot. I don't think people necessarily remember how close the 2020 election was. So uh, Biden actually only won by 45,000 votes in the context of the way the electoral college system works, even though he got 7 million more votes because it's sort of like not really democracy. So that was razor's edge margins four years ago. So what happens when there's a clip that somebody makes of Joe Biden burning a Bible that goes viral in Midwestern states, right? And because social media platforms are disbanding their election integrity teams, which weren't very effective anyway, we're going to see no controls on this stuff. And it takes six to eight hours for something to be irreversibly damaging in the social media space. And you can't undo 
what you what what this capability will do. I mean, this is really frightening stuff, and it's not even just deep fakes on its own or misinformation or disinformation. But you could just have someone pretending to be a figure of authority, uh, but it's actually just AI generated phoning someone up and saying, no, don't go to the polling station. Your polling station is closed or moved or we've shifted the election date. So it doesn't even have to be this threat of deep fakes. It could just be actual manipulation of the voting populace. Oh, absolutely. And, and you think about the sort of age of the emergence of disinformation and the age of the idea of micro-targeting, right? Where people would design, mm. um, let's say, a thousand versions of an ad to send to different people on social media. A thousand. With AI, you could in almost instantly create 10,000 versions, 100,000 versions, right? So not only is there more information flooding the system, but it's more specific to each person. And, and what ultimately what that does is it breaks down any sense of shared reality, right? Everyone's walking into a room with their reality that's been shaped for them using AI tools online. Okay, this is this is really scary stuff. If you don't have reality, how does the society Yes, function? absolutely. And we think, well, surely there must be some kind of regulation in place to counter this. But unfortunately, not yet. So as I mentioned in the intro, AI regulation is getting some attention. The EU is leading the way. They're ready for the step to, to actually put this into practice. But the nations who are big players are taking quite different approaches. And where is this going to go in 2024? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it is it is true that the EU is leading the way. In the current negotiations, it's been really disappointing because some of the largest countries are actually trying to gut the measures that have to do with what's called frontier AI, which is that artificial general intelligence type stuff, because everyone's worried about curbing innovation and investment. So, so that's the EU, still the best, but not great. Then you look at the AI Safety Summit in the UK. And I mean, the fine print of, all of, the, of that summit was, one, everything's voluntary for the companies. And, you know, we've seen that the, these tech companies are so great with voluntary measures in the past, right? I mean, ho- holy cow, how are we even considering that any type of regulation? And two, China was excluded. Yeah. There's 1.5 billion people in China and they're the second largest AI innovator in the world. So if they're not part of it, What's the point? And then the third place you're seeing it is in the U.S., again, with the White House sort of coming out with this grand look at what we're doing with AI and look what we got the companies to agree to. Again, all voluntary, all of it. And the irony here of having competition in the space is actually that it's making it worse because companies don't want to share new stuff for fear that another company might pick up on it. So competition plus uninspired government action is going to leave us in a place where we'll see very quickly that none of this regulation is actually regulation. And and also probably moving quite slowly because there are other things on the government's minds like elections coming up. So both the UK and the US are going to be distracted for a bit. Well, and I think a great way to look at it is with social media, we saw the Cambridge Analytica scandal emerge in 2018, where we learned that people's data was taken without their consent, so forth and so on. It took five years for even the first bit of legislation in the EU to come into effect. The Online Safety Act is still not in effect in the UK. There is zero regulation in the United States. I mean, AI is categorically more impactful than social media, and it's moving so much faster you know, we're, we're nowhere. We're no, and the companies know that. And I think it's really important to remember that these companies know how to work oh, yeah. governments. And that's why we saw so many tech leaders coming into that AI safety summit, because they are the ones with the countries taking a pro-innovation approach, which basically means 
let's keep the tech bros happy. We've got to work with them because we want to make sure we're maximizing profit as well. So we have this perfect storm of, well, I'm sure they'll do it. No, I'm sure they'll do it. No, you know, surely it'll all just happen. It won't just happen. So let's see how things go. How's it? My name is Lassetti. I'm a toy leader with Explore. Come on, let me show you something. Oh, careful. Can you see it? Oh, trust me. It can see you. There, between the trees. It's not every day you get to see a rhino on a walk. I guess not everyone is taken to the right places. But you will be, if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel. Explore. Namaskaram. My name is Nayat. I'm a tour leader with Explore. Come, follow me for a breakfast you will never forget. Namaste. Because you are going to make an incredible masala dosa under the watchful eye of my mom. Kya baat hai, maa? Each home adds their special touches. Mm. But not everyone gets to join in a traditional family meal. You will if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. Okay, surely we can have something good that's going to happen with AI this year. Yes. So any thoughts what that might be? Yeah, so so I categorize AI in four categories. Simple AI, like which is now like algorithms, autocomplete on emails. Smart AI, which is the chat GPT stuff. Sentient, which is what we talked about around artificial general intelligence. We don't have to worry about that just yet. And then the last category, siloed AI. And this is where I think we're going to see a lot of positives in 2024. So siloed AI is where you have a very clear input and a very clear output. So for example, here AI, analyze these 100,000 radiography scans of cervical cancer screenings and tell us what's consistent about them. Right. And and I think in medicine in particular, we're going to see huge developments in siloed AI around being able to identify things much earlier. Um, and the second place in medicine, which is honestly where I think we have the best hope with AI in terms of a, hu- a humanity perspective at the moment, um, is around the ability for AI to um, help us test drugs faster. If there's another pandemic around the corner or a a breakout of a certain disease, then I think, again, there, we could reap the benefits. And we've already seen some of that happen with things like the AlphaGo protein folding, where it was able to synthesize data very quickly and come up with completely new things. Mm. So, yeah, that is that's pretty hopeful. Well, and I I just and I I think I have to say, like, I am not anti-AI. It's at all. I'm anti the, the model that we're using for-profit companies primarily focusing on profit only to develop it, right? This AI could be the thing that allows us to work 10, 15 hours a week and not force people to do really hard jobs that are very damaging to their bodies. Um, It could be the thing that helps us with reducing carbon emissions, um, environmental approaches, medicine, all of that. If we were saying, okay, this is a tool that the number one thing we want to do is improve people's lives. But that's just not what we're doing. So there is this really this double-edged sword. We can see productivity benefits, but we can also see the harms. And I'm like you, I'm I'm kind of optimistic about this, but I'm a very cautious optimist. And I don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's really the way it's set to to play out. It's not looking great. No. Thinking about 
other aspects where it affects our lives. So in Hollywood, the Writers Guild of America went on strike from May to September in 2023 to get new contracts set up, uh, to put guardrails in place around the use of AI technology. And that's something I think we're going to see more of to try and make sure that AI keeps in step with the workers, that it's not replacing them. So do you think there's going to be more of that in store? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that um, we're finally going to start to be able to measurably see the impact of AI in the space of work. It's quite upsetting, right? I saw a really funny tweet that was like, uh, the the future utopia I wanted wasn't humans doing hard labor while AI wrote TV scripts and music. Um, and I think mm. that, you know, and it's these middle band jobs, sort of 60 to 90,000 pounds a year, white collar thinking jobs that AI is the most likely to affect quickly. Um, We saw with um, uh, S4 Capital, one of the biggest um, advertising and media agencies in the world, that they had laid off, I believe it was nearly half of their staff, replaced entirely with AI. So junior level creative stuff, very easy for AI to do it. Um, And that's the same with script writing in Hollywood, which is why people wanted that. There was also a a, um, UK court decision in December of 2023 that was specifically about the, that AI cannot hold a patent which I think is also going to be really important as we move forward, because the question then becomes, who holds the patent, right? The person who manipulated the AI to make something, uh, society in some sort of new form of ownership, since it's our collective knowledge that's training AI, a company. You know, there's so many questions around intellectual property Um, that I think we'll start to have to get into the weeds of in 2024. But if you think about anything else that's impacted society at this scale, is there anything you can think of that happens so quickly? Exactly. So we, because we've been automating human jobs since pretty much since we picked up sticks and Mm. and used flints uh, to to cut things. But it's this speed, it's this scale, it's this completely transformative way that it's doing it right now. And as you say, there's so much tied up in attribution as well. Uh, So it's taking the essence of us and giving it back to us in a different package, really. So yeah, of course, you know, in the past, when we've had this kind of thing happen, when we've seen things like the Industrial Revolution, or, you know, I think we're we're Industrial Revolution number four now, I believe. You know, in the past, we've bounced back from those within a generation. But now, of course, this scale is just tremendously huge. Yeah, and in the past as well, while those at the very top have always done much, much better, everyone's lives have improved. So, but now what we're seeing with, with AI is that that is, it's going to be the, the reverse, right? So the middle and lower bands in the, in the first wave, their lives are going to get categorically worse because of layoffs, widespread layoffs. And, and, you know, people keep saying, oh, this is such an alarmist view and stuff. You can find very, very conservative think tanks and outlets that are saying 40 to 60% of jobs will be affected. This is a very mainstream view because the business incentive is so clear. And that's why I worry because we can absorb an industrial revolution over the course of 50 years where we're seeing movement within an economy and so forth. But we cannot absorb an industrial revolution in the course of 18 months where the same worker displacement occurs. And and that's what I, I feel like we are walking into. And ironically, not blind, but just sort of governments not yeah. caring. It does seem like that. And of course, in the past, 
They were coming for all the low paid workers. They were coming for the blue collar jobs. Now it's the middle management that is being threatened. Now it is the white collar jobs that can be replaced easily. And so, of course, there's even more panic. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I've done a few talks in different contexts. And whenever I, I do a talk in a sort of either creative industry or finance sector environment, there's someone who's like, well, it would never be able to take my job because, <laughs> you know, and you're sort of going... You're the job they're targeting because you're the creative director. You're the, you know, finance executive. You're expensive. You know, if they exactly. can find a way to replace mm. you, they will replace you. Yeah, right now there are there are jobs out there that are not immediately under threat. And I'm thinking of things like care work, where it's a very mm. physical aspects, which, you know, we just simply will not have robots doing those jobs anytime soon. So there are still going to be numerous jobs out there, but not enough that will compensate for the jobs that are being lost by any stretch of the imagination. And also, it tends to be the very undervalued work that people don't really want to take on unless they have to. Yeah, and and we need to reframe how we think about this in the context of economies, right? So not that if you don't work, you don't have money to live, but how do we use technology to ensure people have enough to live? Right. And it's, it's just a, a, a spin. And, you know, people talk about universal basic income, these other interventions. But why is it that we're not saying, how can we use technology so that people can have nicer lives? And instead, we're saying, oh, won't it be cool? The world will have its first trillionaire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I heard this recently. I heard there were people saying things like, as soon everyone will be able to have these godlike powers. I was thinking, I don't want godlike powers. I, I just want to live a nice, a nice life that everybody's got enough food and, and enough shelter. We, exactly. We don't need to aim for the, the really bizarre godlike goals. No. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell and me, Angela Barnes wherever you get your podcasts Never one to avoid controversy Elon Musk has released his own large language model but I think one of the key questions for this year is when is Elon going to feck off and I could be bleeped but I assure you as, a, as an Irish person that feck is not a dirty word um, so maybe we can extend that to all of the tech bros because I do think they're part of the problem here are we getting tired of them because I know I am or are we stuck with this very ego-driven development for yet another year we are stuck Oh, no. <laughs> I know. What's happened is because of the celebrification of everything and social media and all the rest of it, it's easier for 
consumption and, and media to just frame it through the lens of this one, one person. Um, so they're not going anywhere, especially as people are losing trust in governments and looking for alternative forms of leadership. You know, I agree with you. When is Elon Musk going to feck off? But he's too much money, power and influence. I mean, to the point where he was able to sit down in conversation with the UK's prime minister in what looked like Rishi Sunak's next job interview, essentially. But to, to have that level of influence just seems phenomenally strange. Uh, or to, to, to have these groups of, of tech bros who are coming in and saying, OK, we want an, a mor- moratorium on the AI that we ourselves have created, which, you know, sneakily sounds like them trying to get a competitive advantage. Regulatory so capture, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like, yeah, like you're saying, we're probably stuck with them. And I'm kind of hoping that there is, there will at some point be a bit more accountability for them. Yeah, I mean, the key is accountability. It's just this idea that governments seem to have forgotten who they're meant to represent and who they're meant to work for. And, you know, it took, the global financial crisis didn't change anything. The first wave of tech annihilation and pandemic didn't change anything. We're still in the situation where governments are see their primary objective as encouraging and supporting business and private enterprise. Um, and I mean, the last thing I'd say about Elon Musk is he's a sociopathic, narcissistic egomaniac. But unfortunately, a lot of people seem to like that. I mean, look at Trump's popularity, Boris Johnson's popularity, right? It's just this idea yeah. of these sort of misunderstood, just let them get on with it, um, strapping men. Yeah. And I'm not sure I would let any of them control my oxygen supply on Mars, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Slightly worrying. <laughs> Let's wrap it up there. But if you want to learn more about all of this, why not buy Kyle's new book, The Little Black Book of Artificial Intelligence, How Big Tech is Making Humanity Redundant, through our affiliate bookshop. Doing this will help fund the bunker by earning us a small commission for every sale. And bookshop.org's fees help support independent bookshops too. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me in the bunker. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please support The Bunker on Patreon. For as little as £3 a month, you can get extras, in addition to that warm, glowing feeling you get from knowing you're supporting handmade, independent media. I'm Dr Kate Devlin. Thanks for listening. The Bunker is presented by Dr Kate Devlin and produced by Chris Jones and Adam Wright. Audio production was from me, Robin Lieburn. Group editor is Andrew Harrison. Managing editor Jacob Jarvis. Art by Jim Parrott and music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is the Podmasters production. <laughs>